So good evening. Here we are. We have an evening on Broadway. <laughs> it's 30, 331 Broadway Street, Cambridge. Not the Broadway in, um, you know, in New York or any other Broadway, but hopefully it'll, it'll be entertaining. Hopefully we'll be able to, to talk about this thing called uh, freedom. It's interesting because what happens is they ask me to give uh, the talk way before I come up with the title. And in, I have to admit, about a week or two ago, I got a call saying, what's the title of your talk? And I was saying to myself, what talk? <laughs> because I had, it hadn't gotten into my, my, my calendar. So I thought about it for a little bit, and then, then I came up with the title, The Possibility of, of Freedom. And I borrowed that from a phrase in this book, The Meaning of Anxiety by Rollo May. Because as you may know, uh, during the 2016 election, it was in November, we were doing a sandwich retreat. And actually, when we finished the retreat, both Ryan and I were thinking about we wanted to see the election results. And of course, like everybody else, we were shocked. And there was, there's been a lot of suffering, a lot of anxiety, a lot of just not knowing, especially having um, a president who's very unpredictable. And so to me, as bad as it may seem to some folks uh, on the left or folks in general, it's actually an opportunity to really understand that, that things are constantly in flux and that there's a relationship. We're experiencing a lot of anxiety. And so one way of looking at that is, and I went back to my study when I was in school and and I was very attracted to existential um, philosophy and psychology and this whole idea of, of examining the ongoing concerns of what it means to be a human being and, and what are some of the things that we have to deal with. And it's interesting because for years, as he was describing uh, the work I do, um, a friend of mine, uh, Bill Kennedy, used to say to me, George, you should call yourself an ontological coach. And I said, yeah, that, uh, you and I understand what that means, Bill, but no one else does. <laughs> and what he was saying is because that's really uh, describes more than anything what it is um, that we're up to, what I'm up to. And that is how do you do this thing called life. And I would suggest that what we do when we come here is we're practicing freedom. And so if we're practicing freedom, we need to understand what that means. And so in this practice, we have this possibility of going beyond our addictions, going beyond our, our habits, going beyond our beliefs and, and fixed ways of being by looking within and, and making a choice to do things differently. So we always talk about word, thought, and deed here. And actually the existential thinkers talked about um, the idea of the immediacy of experience and the subjectivity of experience. So basically, they're saying that you got to look at the only way to deal with life in a realistic fashion is to see the fact that we are thinking, feeling, and acting organisms. And that most of that activity happens in the immediacy of experience. And so we have to be able to observe that. But unfortunately, um, what happens is there's two positive aspects to freedom. 
the first one is obvious. Freedom means we can actually change. We can actually change our behavior, our way of thinking. We can actually change our situation by how we respond to it rather than react to it. But the other side of that is the negative aspect of it, which is anxiety. And so it's interesting because I work with people and I work with elite people and people who say they want to be elite. And one of the things that prevent, prevents us from being who we are is this, this idea that we experience anxiety. Because what's happening, if you think about it, the possibility of, of freedom, when we become free, we are really saying, okay, so I'm going to go down. You know, I get to the fork and road. I usually go right. Now I'm going to go left. And I go right. I know what's going on when I go right. I know what I'm going to get. If I go left, I have no idea what's happening. And so we used to call it the dizziness of freedom. And so this idea of if you're talking about as much talent, as much possibility that you have, there's going to be an exact amount of anxiety. It's going to be more anxiety, more freedom, more creativity, more anxiety. And so just to be real with that and to talk about, so how do we deal with that? How do we deal with this dizziness of freedom or the fact that we experience anxiety? And the existentialists were really good, especially uh, Soren Kierkegaard was really good about talking about, he, every time he mentions possibility, he's talking about anxiety. And it's this idea, they call it the problem of anxiety or the meaning of anxiety. And so anxiety could be this thing that's to be avoided or it could be this thing that can actually be a teacher, can actually say, okay, so I expect anxiety to be there. And let me self-disclose a, a little bit. So about two years ago, I wrote the book, The Mindful Athlete, Secrets to Pure Performance. So some of you may not know this, but I've been trying to write a book for 20 years. And as soon as I stopped trying to write a book, it wrote itself. And so I know this stuff. I teach this stuff. But yet the anxiety, the unwillingness for me to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, the unwillingness for me to really uh, expand my you know, possibility or you know, to be creative and to express my talent. And so there's a reason that it took me 20 years to do that with practice because when I was growing up, when I was younger, and I started exercising, I was always a free thinker. I was very sensitive. And so when I was about 10 or 11, I went to my dad who, you know, I'm one of 13, so he worked in the railroad during the day and was a barber at night. So my, one of my older sisters was getting married, and I asked him for a specific kind of haircut, what we call a crovatus. And he said to me, you don't tell me what to do, and he gave me a baldy. And I had to go to the wedding and humiliation with a baldy. And so it was really obvious to me that freedom ain't free. <laughs> and that when we are free, and this is, this is the challenge of adolescence. And some of us, like myself, you know, even though I was in my 30s, I still hadn't matriculated through adolescence. Because, you know, in adolescence, it's, that's when, when our bodies, adolescence and old age. And, you know, I already did the other one. Now I'm moving into this one. But the fact of the matter is our bodies are changing. Things are changing so fast, we don't even know who we are. And if we're identified with our body, if we're identified with how our voice sounds, or identified how we see things, then that can be problematic because there's this 
how do we deal with, with freedom? And so for me, when I, when I expressed myself, even when I graduated from college, I was with some friends in the car, and we're driving in Boston, and, and I apologize for my language, but I'm, I'm being, you know, I'm just quoting what the officer said. So he, we got pulled over, and I said, what's the violation, officer? And he said, who the fuck are you, Perry Mason? And he started coming into the back seat to beat me up. And so I had a... So, and I can... There's many, many other times when it wasn't okay for me to say what I felt to my second grade teacher, or oh, I'm going to go to college, or oh, forget about it, you'll never go to college. So it's like for me to speak, for me to express myself, it means that I was challenging the status quo, I was challenging the environment, and that when you do that, people are not going to be okay with that because when you change, everything else changes. And so even as a child, when they, when they uh, start to individuate, it depends on whether the parents allow them to kind of express their individuality. And the first thing they say when they individuate is no. That's a terrible twos. But So there has to be this way of how we relate to that actually determines our conditioning and how we relate to the to rest of life. Does this make sense? So for me, speaking from my own experience, so I had to overcome all of that that trauma from trying to express myself, trying to be myself. It wasn't okay for me to be myself. Maybe my dad thought it was dangerous for me to be a free thinker. I don't know what his thinking was, but that's my experience. And so when I work with people, when I work with elite athletes, those elite athletes or those elite performance performers, the reason they're able to perform at the elite level and to move into possibility, to create more possibility, because they're able to move through the anxiety. They're able to, to understand the anxiety comes with it. Sometimes it's felt like a high state of arousal, but they're able to deal with that. And this is what the existentialists have been saying all along, that we have to be authentic to how we think, feel, and behave. And that this practice of, of insight meditation is just that, is that we create space between stimulus and response by the practices, whether it's the five spiritual powers or the seven factors of enlightenment. But basically it's just being mindful. And in the Bible it talks about be still and know. It's this idea of can we understand that as human beings we have this thing called self-awareness, that we have this ability to step back and observe what we think, what we feel, what we do, what's going on inside, what's going on outside. And this is why we talk about mindfulness as being this quality of mind that allows us to see things in an uncritical manner, allows us to see things as they are. And by seeing, by stepping back and observing, we can actually create space between stimulus and response. And in that space is our freedom and power to choose. So part of, of this idea of, of, of the possibility of freedom is the idea that we get to choose. We make choices. And on some level, we are responsible. I am responsible. So even though my dad did what he did, that police officer did what he did, ultimately it's my responsibility to say, you know something? Uh, I'm going to experience the anxiety and move through it anyway. I'm going to get, com- uncomfortable being com- uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable and move through that, that angst, that anxiety, that not knowing what's happening. But if I really pay attention to things from moment to moment, we have no idea what's going to happen. None. We have this illusion. 
And we have these hideouts. This is what Martin Buber talked about. Man has these places of hideouts so that it doesn't have to render responsibility for his behavior. So um, Victor Fromm talked about a mechanism of escape from freedom. He says we escape from freedom, but we escape into more bondage. So the first thing to understand is here I am trying to teach myself and teach other people to be still and know and observe their experience. And the way that we we get away from that anxiety is the last thing we want to do is know what's really going on. We want to relate to things as they used to be or as we think they are. We don't really want to be uh, there in the moment because if we're there in the moment and we see what's happening, we have to be responsible. And so there's this idea to really understand that this is the challenge that we have and the mechanism of escape, if you hadn't noticed, is authoritarianism. This is what happened in, 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 in Nazi Germany. You got a guy that comes along and says, you know, I can, I can fix everything. Just give me all the power and I'll make things better. And then we fast forward to where we are now and we keep thinking, well, why are those people voting for this dude? Why do they keep supporting him? Because he's daddy. He's going to save us. And so what we do is we give up our self-responsibility and we put it in a higher power. We get an authoritarianism. So that's what we do. We want somebody to take care of it, so they want people to take care of us. And, and I see because I used to be an ultimate rescuer, so I used to always find people who wanted me to take care of them. And then I'd be looking around saying, how come no one's taking care of me? And I realized, no, I have to let people have their own, they have to take responsibility for themselves. So authoritarianism, this is one way that we escape freedom and the more bondage. And part of that is conformism. So we'd rather be somebody else than to be who we are. And so there's something about blocking out awareness where it tends to, you know, block out the feeling of anxiety. And so you have a lot of people who want to be like Mike or be like somebody but not be themselves. And then the other part of that is, well, if this awareness of a self is creating anxiety, what if I get rid of that awareness? What if I avoid it? What if I deny it? What if I destroy it? So whether it's through suicide or just blowing up people, maybe that's another mechanism of escape that we can engage in. And so the idea is the only way out, as Robert Frost said, is through. And so it's this idea of opening to our, our suffering and opening to it and allowing ourselves to experience it. Because it's interesting thing is there's, there's a normal anxiety. It's just part of the growth. So for me, when I almost 33 years ago when I was... Um, when I went into the detox to deal with my substance abuse problems, I knew that if the same George that went in there came out, I was in trouble. So I had to die to that old George and be reborn to the new George. And then as, and because I'm, a, I'm, not a, I'm a human being, but I'm more of a human becoming, because I'm always evolving and changing, because things are evolving and changing. So the George I was when I got out of the detox, if I'm still at George, I could be in problems. I could have problems. I could be the George that I need to be in this time, in the immediacy of experience. And so I've experienced myself going through these, you know, these uh, stages of, of grief because I was dying of the old self, letting go of the old, opening up to the new. So I'd go through bargaining, denial, anger, depression, 
acceptance. And so, there, so it ain't free, so we go through this. But if I can just be a, an observer, a silent witness, and observe things uncritically and in a non-identification non, non with my experience and saying that's who I am, I'm a basketball player. Well, if I identify myself as a basketball player and I haven't played um, a competitive basketball since 1971, then I'm walking around thinking I'm still uh, 20 years old, <laughs> you know, and that's not working because my body is not 20 years old. So, so there has to be this idea that, that you know, we, we identify with things and that creates a suffering. And so this idea, we, I didn't just have anxiety, I had it and I was reacting to it. And then all of the past anxiety that I never dealt with, it became a cumulative uh, process. And so it became overwhelming. But now that I learned how to kind of let go of things and move on, this is what this practice is really important. But in the immediacy of experience, we can choose our response to things and that we have certain values around here that help us stay on the straight and narrow, even though we don't know who we are we can still live according to values. So around here, we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. What does that mean? That means that the Buddha is a real person, even though we have a statue up there, that we all have Buddha nature. We all have the capacity for freedom. That's not something we have to earn. It's there, but, but it's the way we relate to experience in the immediacy of, of, immediacy of experience that allows us to start to, to glean or get that sense of divine, that divine spark, that Buddha nature, that Christ consciousness. And so, so we have a way. So we talk about right view. So we see things a certain way. So we know that if we have a mind that has renunciation, like I'm talking about, we can let go of things. If we have a mind with greed, we're not letting go of it. And if we have a mind of greed, if you don't know what mind state you have, all you got to do is watch your body. Because your nervous system, if it's pleasant, and you want more, you will approach it. We call approach. And if it's not, if it's the opposite, you're going to avoid. You're going to move away from it. And if it's neither, you're going to space out. Just the way the nervous system works. It's not personal. It's not personal. And so when we can start to see that and say, okay, I don't know really what's going on, but I notice I'm, I'm saying I want more, then I can look at, well, what mind am I observing with and can I change my mind? Can I change how I'm seeing things? Can I change my thoughts? Can I change my feelings? Can I change my behavior? So for me, when I was getting into recovery, I might feel like I want to take a drink or a drug or do something, but I knew that if I did that, where that would end me. So that's where we have the wise reflection. We reflect on, okay, I'm about to do something in word, thought, and deed. And if I do it, where is it going to take me? And so I do that before. And then I say, okay, so one drink is not enough and too much, so can't go there. And then at some point it got to the point where the anxiety of, of being in that unknown uh, because I worked through it made me stronger. But how do I work through it? Faith. It's because the Buddha talks about we have Buddha nature, then there's a Dharma, there's a teachings that gives us a way to let go and to let, let be. And so then there's a sangha, which means not just this sangha, but the bigger sangha, that there's, there's a community of people like-minded that 
just like me, they're doing this thing called life, and they're learning how to create space between stimulus and response. And in that space, we have core values like love, compassion, uh, seeking wisdom, seeking excellence, um, curiosity, interest. And so in that space, then we understand that, and then we have the precepts around here. So there's right view that says, okay, this is the way things are. This is how things work. And you don't have to take my word for it. Check it out, because the big part of what the existentialist is saying is the immediacy of experience, but also the subjective experience of it. So the Buddha talks about the idea of don't believe what I say. See if it's true in your own experience. So around here, you can't just be like... Um, watching Survivor on TV and observing somebody else, although that's helpful, it's more about being present to your own experience and seeing if it's true in your experience because we are all unique, so the way we're going to experience it is going to be unique. But just imagine what that's like where you are going to dare to be yourself around other people. That's very interesting. Some people get scapegoated for being different. So this idea of being willing to be ourselves or understanding that we, we have these teachings that help us to do that. We have a community of like-minded people that can support us in doing that. But we have everything we need to succeed. We have everything we need to be freer than we are. That this, uh, the possibility of freedom means that we're going to change, but there's a consequence to that, both positive and negative. And can we experience that and let anxiety become our teacher? which is what I had to do, just let it say, okay, this is anxiety. If I expect it, and if I'm able to deal, you know, relate to it in a way where I am not identified with it, where I can observe it uncritically, and then I can renunciate or sacrifice or let it go, let it be, and just do it anyway. Because that's what I had to do when it came time for the book, and how did I do that? Well, it was interesting uh, because I was involved in this, in this um meditation program that was being um, filmed by 60 Minutes. And I was a group, I was one of 23, and we were on this, we went to this place in California, and we were being filmed and talking to Anderson Cooper and all of that, and we were in this panel, and there were seven of us in the panel, and they were talking to us about what mindfulness is, and, and Anderson Cooper asked a question. He says, what's to stop executives from using mindfulness to to kind of control the employees or exploit the employees. And everybody that was up there, no one had an answer. I had an answer, but there's no way I could give it in 15 seconds. So I just said to myself, oh, that's interesting. Mm, uh, you know, everybody here has their own view of mindfulness. My view of mindfulness is different, so maybe I have to share that with people. Maybe, maybe I have to get beyond myself and do it for the greater good. And so that's how I related to it. So I related to it. It wasn't about me. It was about being a service. But also, I was reflecting on, on, the, um, on the Greek myth of, uh, I think it was Prometheus. Is he the one that brought fire? Yeah, so anyway, so he was a titan, and he was hanging out with Zeus and them dudes. And, <laughs> and he decided to bring fire and medicine to man, and Zeus got upset because that made us more godlike. So they... So they put him on Mount Tartarus and chain him. And every, every day the vultures would come and eat his liver. And then that night it would grow back and then they eat his liver again. 
So uh, what happened at some point, Hercules, one of the labors of Hercules was to go and rescue Prometheus, and that's what he did. And so I read that. I said, okay, so maybe, just maybe, if, you know, because I had a liver ailment at the time. I said, maybe I could do like Prometheus. Maybe in the long run it's going to be okay. So I might get beat up. I might get attacked. I might get disparaged, but for the greater good, and can I just not identify with that and just move out of that? So between that and me making that decision, it just so happens that uh, the morning before I was going to leave, so I left, it was Mount Madonna, and I, I drove to San Francisco. I met with my friend and the editor of Parallax Press, and on the spot they offered me a, a book deal. Didn't have to write a proposal or anything. So, so it was interesting how that happened, but it was just the willingness to let go and to let be and say, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be great. I don't know what's going to happen, it's going to be great. But now, even though I said that, it wasn't like I made a decision and it was all, all good. You know, did I make the right decision? You know, this, is, this don't feel so good. You know, this is intense. But being able to have that, experience that, and allow that to be there and to realize that, that that's what we can do for each other. We support each other. To, to move through anxiety, so it's normal anxiety. It's not like it shouldn't be happening. It just comes with the territory. So to the degree that we have freedom, not only do we experience anxiety, but, but we, we're responsible. I'm responsible for myself. My dad couldn't do that for me. My mom, my teacher, my friends, I had to make those decisions. And this is, this is what I, I'm here to talk about. It. So anything we, we confront today has really, like, I like to say this, if you don't know who you are, you could end up being anybody. And if you don't know where you're going, you could end up going anywhere. So it makes a lot of sense to really decide who we're going to be and where we're going. But we have to create space and we have to reflect on that and think about, well, how am I living my life? Am I living my life in a way where I'm creating more joy, more peace, more ease? Or am I living my life where there's more tension, anxiety, stress, um, unhappiness. And so, to me, I think that's a challenge for us is to understand, just like the existential thing is talked about, is we got to look at ourselves as a whole being, thinking, feeling, acting. And actually, Eric Fromm, he talked about, he talked about the mechanism of, of escape, whether it was you know, conformity, authoritarianism, or destructive behaviors. He talked about there is a positive answer to that. And the positive answer is uh, um, a whole person or integrated uh, personality or integrated being so that we accept all parts of ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and somehow integrate that into a whole being. And that when we're, when we're operating or we're living at a high level, that's what we call being spontaneous. In, in sports, we call it being in the zone. By spontaneity, and spontaneity means a free will, we can have this question of free will. And William James got through that by saying, uh, I don't know if there's free will or not, but at this moment, I'm going to choose to believe that there's free will. It's not a good one. And so... So that so we do have the free will, but if we look, we'll see that it's not free because we have these these convenient ways of being, these addictions, these habit, habitual ways of being, mechanical ways of observing experience that, that keep us doing the same thing 
over and over instead of looking at new ways of thinking, feeling, and being because as things change, we change. And the only, the way I look at it, the best chance I have in this constant flux of change is to decide to be myself in that change or to decide who I'm going to be in that change so I can wait for the wave to hit me or I can be on the crust of the wave and say, okay, things are changing, now I have to change. And so that means letting go of, of the good, the excellent, and that's what the elite do. There's a, there's a team called the All Blacks in um, New Zealand. It's a rugby team. And uh, they've been dominating uh, rugby, I think, for 86 years, something like that. But anyway, one of the things they talk about is character and adaptability. So even when they're at the, the peak, they're changing. They're looking to change. They're looking to get better because they know things change. And so they embrace it. They embrace change. That's, that's what the elite do. That's what I've been doing. When people ask me what I'm up to, I'm telling them I'm pursuing excellence and wisdom with grace and ease. That's the game I'm playing. Now, it wasn't always grateful, graceful and easy because I was one of those lone warriors and everything had to be strong and I had to be really serious. And one day I just stepped back and said, hey, dude, how's that working for you? <laughs> it wasn't working. And I had to decide, well, maybe there's an easier, softer way. Maybe I can just allow things to happen. Maybe I could emulate Bruce Lee and be like water. Just go with things, just accept things as they are. So maybe there's something about being aware, awareness, acceptance, and then compassionate action. That's a thought. And so this is, you know, so I wanted to bring this up and talk about it because I know we're experiencing anxiety. And it's always been there, but it's in our face right now. So that could be a good thing. Because we can use it to move to the next level. That's how I look at it. So you can let things use you or you can use it by saying, okay, there's an opportunity. You know, what is the meaning of this? How do I, how do I work with this in a way where, where I can be myself and when I, I can be compassionate, I can be present, and that I can be creative in terms of living in a way that, that's more joyful, more uh, self-satisfying, more... Um, where I'm feeling more of um, more connected with something greater than myself, because in here we talk about suffering, which you can't get around that one. And there's a cause of suffering, and it's usually a clinging attachment, ignorance. And there's a there's a way out of the suffering, and we talk about it, you know, as as an eightfold noble path, or however you want to say it. But basically, what it comes down to is just just living according to the laws of how things work and, and learning from my experience, getting into this process of wise reflection, reflecting before we do something, reflecting before, during, and after, and then understanding that we don't have to make up stuff. The, the universal laws of, uh, uh, you, you know, that they're beyond time, they're timeless. So love is love. Compassion is compassion. Curiosity is curiosity. So if we can identify with one of these divine things like love, compassion, uh, renunciation, or generosity, then we're probably going to have the right view. And because we have the right view, the intention is going to be the right intention. And because we have the right intention, it's going to lead to, to peace, to harmony, to understanding. And so I don't want to talk a lot more about this, I'd love to open it up for 
Q&A, but just feeling, and usually it's interesting because usually when I give a talk, I don't really use notes, even though I didn't really use notes now, but this is something that I felt is really important for us to examine and to talk about. This is what I would call a championship conversation. How do we raise our game? And in the next case, our game is how can we be more present and be more fully alive and, 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 and feel like get beyond the illusion of separateness because that's what happens. We have this suffering because of change. We suffer. And we have this idea that we're this separate entity and that I don't like to call it um, no self. I like to call it the illusion of separateness. And every once in a while, we get a glean of what it means to be connected. And, of course, here in, 19, in 2013, I think it was, uh, Patriots Day or when we had the marathon and we had the bombing, and there were people who were not running away from the explosion. They were running towards it. And that's when we get beyond that sense of self and we know that us and the other are connected. And so we relate to each other in that way. I think 9-11 was another time that happened, and it happens every once in a while. We get beyond this illusion of self, and we get to see that we're connected to something greater than ourselves. And so this is, this is one of the fruits of the practice is starting to get beyond that and starting to see that I and the other are connected and that sometimes I meet with I mirror. And so my thoughts have, have consequences. I'm either making things greater or worse or maybe just being indifferent. And so this idea of realizing that we are really powerful and that our thoughts matter, uh, how we feel matters and what we do matters. So I'd like to end it at, at that, but just, just saying the possibility of freedom is for everyone. Now, whether everyone is up for the challenge, that's something else. And I think as uh, Sean Accord wrote the book, um, The Happiness Advantage, happiness is a choice. Just like Krista Murdy said, freedom now or never. That's now or never. And so in this moment, or like William James said, we can choose to have free will right now. So I want to thank you for your attention, and we can open it up for questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.